podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Go on! Go on! Sometimes longer isn't better. So if you're looking for a fantasy NFL game that doesn't last all season, try Paddy Power Fantasy. Every game week is a season in itself. Try it for free on our super short, super free contest on this Sunday's 6pm games. The top 900 customers in the contest win a prize with £400 for first place. Search Paddy Power Fantasy to pick your team. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us. Well, and a lot to be getting into. We're going to look back at that cracking game between the Raiders and the Bears at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. How about those Raiders? Who'd have thunk that? Going back to California with a winning record. What a game. What an atmosphere. If you were there, you lucky people. Hell of a game. And of course, there was plenty more that came from the big show back in town next weekend, of course, as well with the Panthers Bucks. NFL London season in full swing. We'll be looking back at that game and indeed all the key action from week five around the NFL very shortly. Just time for me to give a big shout out to Apple Podcast, the team there, for putting us, how about this gang, on the home page. We really appreciate that, really appreciate the support. And if you're new to the show, having found us there, welcome, welcome along for the ride. Four shows a week, all season long, up to and including the Super Bowl. And you can follow us on social as well, at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, loads of extra bonus stuff. Good stuff goes out there as well. So get involved right then. So much to be getting into, so we'll get the show on the road. And welcome the great Greg Brady. Greg, we got so much to get into, man. we got Gruden, our first firing of the season. I probably said that with a little too much excitement and reverie in my voice there. Uh, but our first coach, coaching dismissal of the season, we got to talk London. We got to talk some remarkable games. Mahomes is human. I mean, I don't know where to start. Where should we start? Well, yeah, let's go with the, the coaching vacancy. And it's funny when you said that, Nat, uh, you know, uh, Gruden's in some trouble at the start of the year. You'd have to remind yourself that John Gruden has a 10 year contract. So he can't <laughs> right. be in too much trouble, uh, with the Oakland Raiders who left, uh, left Spurs Stadium with a win yesterday. But yeah. I don't know that this was necessarily inevitable. I, I, I don't think the Vultures were sort of circling Jay Gruden as the season started. But then you get into the mess of, of looking so bad in your first couple of weeks, and, and especially against teams that your division rivals with. The New York Giants uh, weren't supposed to be much of anything and were able to, to toast you pretty good opening weekend. So it's something that uh, Washington's got a lot of dysfunction to it. I don't think this is going to mm. necessarily solve it, but it was very clear at a certain point in time uh, that Jay Gruden might have been more part of the part of the problem um, than the solution. I should point out they lost to the Eagles in a close game opening weekend, and the Giants game was just last week. But I think that's really started following a loss at home to the Bears, thirty-one fifteen. They go to the Meadowlands, and that, of course, uh, is is of course the you know the Daniel Jones debut game. And to look so bad against a quarterback that never stepped on an NFL football field that might have uh, prolonged the inevitable by just one week after the Patriots lost yesterday. Yeah, I wonder what they're expecting, waiting for the Patriots game and thinking, maybe maybe they're going to turn around <laughs> against New England. There's something extraordinary was going to happen. Dysfunction is absolutely the, the operative word. And my friend, he hit the nail on the head there. I want to give a shout out to John Kime, ESPN staff writer, who has pointed out that under Dan Snyder's tenure, the Redskins owner, of course, the much maligned uh, Dan Snyder, uh, that began in 1999. Uh, this will be, 
his eighth coach uh, that he appoints after uh, after Gruden. Schottenheimer, who lasted a year. Marty Schottenheimer. Joe Gibbs, the great Joe Gibbs, lasted four. Mike Shanahan, four years as well. None of them had winning records during their time collectively in Washington. Uh, and, of course, uh, as uh, it is pointed out by John in the piece, we're talking about a Hall of Fame uh, are in Joe Gibbs. So these aren't just fair-weather coaches we're talking about here. Some heavyweights, not to mention the fact that some incredibly talented coordinators who've gone on to greater things have slipped through the net. So you're absolutely right, I think. It wasn't fair to say that Gruden, uh, or it's pretty accurate to say that Gruden isn't the answer by any stretch of the imagination of the problems they've had, but do the problems start and finish with the ownership and with Dan Snyder? Well, it feels that way. And I, I know there's seven or eight fan bases that when you ask them who's, you know, who's got the, the most dysfunctional ownership in the NFL, some of them, you know, seven or eight fan bases all raise their hands and they think it's them for a good chunk of time. Look, even at Cleveland, I know there's a little bit of hope with, uh, with Baker Mayfield in the last year and a half, but if you've been a Browns fan for the last 20 years, imagine the pain you feel. Miami is dealing with this now. I think Buffalo has had moments where the Bills fans, uh, as passionate as they are and they're having a good season this year, deal with it. But here's another one that leaps off the page of me now. And I saw this last week in USA Today. Mm. Washington's two and seventeen at home on Monday night home games since FedEx Field opened in nineteen ninety seven. That's unbelievable. Wow, um, and they're still a marquee team to you know, they're still, you know, I, I knew in the eighties when, when football was on Channel Four, right? They were one of the most popular teams. Yeah. Put sure. them up there with the 49ers, with Miami, with the Chicago Bears. And it, you're you're having a tough time finding even the most diehard Washington fans to uh, to admit they're with the team anymore. So they've got to they've got to fix this at a level that isn't coaching. And yet the fans go, it's just the uh, uh, you know it's it's a vicious circle. We come right back to ownership every single time, and they haven't had injury luck with Robert Griffin the third one rookie of the year the very same year. Andrew Luck is is in the NFL winning eleven games, and Robert Griffin was unable to stay healthy. Luck mm-hmm. made the playoffs two more seasons back to back to back. So. They, they they haven't had any breaks, but sometimes you got to make your own breaks, and I think people feel Washington's ownership isn't capable of that right now. The question is where they go next, of course. There'll be an interim situation, as there always is in these cases, because their they're key candidates, their key targets, otherwise engaged right now, five weeks into the season. What I love about this, Greg, and love about our fan base here on, on the show, our listeners, uh, within minutes of the story breaking that Jay Gruden uh, had been relieved of his duties. Uh, a big shout out to Peter Robinson, who tweeted us at the NC show, if you want to follow shoot, who will replace Gruden? Now he's out of the Redskins. <laughs> Straight down to business. So realistically, and I guess um, a lot will depend on what happens over the coming weeks and those hot hand, zeitgeisty, voguish kind of coordinators that suddenly get talked up for head coaching gigs or potentially uh, those head coaches that are the reverse, that are right now in coordinator or assistant positions that might get another bite at the cherry who off the top of your head is that the right man for the Redskins job anybody that you think stands out could be a good fit for them well I'll, I'll go quickly there's a couple that I think could could and would take the job if offered but I think there's also a couple that would be offered in that 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 might say no and you think well who would turn down an NFL head coaching job well let's go to a guy who did turn down eventually the Indianapolis Colts job and Josh McDaniels. His name comes up all the time with right. head coaching vacancies, but he's in such a good spot in New England right now. Unbeaten team, maybe another waltz to at least the AFC title game, uh, maybe the Super Bowl uh, again. And he's got it really good in New England. And if Bill Belichick's only going to coach another year or two, as you remember, we were coming fresh off that Super Bowl in Minnesota with New England and Philadelphia when all those McDaniels Colts rumors were, yep. were getting going. 
And maybe, just maybe, there's a, there's a pact, if you will, that's not on paper somewhere that McDaniels has been told, you're the heir apparent. Right. Don't take it. Don't take another job. Unlike what Brian Flores did when he left New England and took the Miami job. So I, I wonder if it's him, a, yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if there is that deal in place uh, in the gentleman's handshake. Also, I think there is, I guess, a significant influence, irrespective of whether they have got this succession mm-hmm. plan lined up. That you know, Belichick and and other key uh, protagonists in that organization will have hammered into McDaniels, do not go anywhere that looks even vaguely reeks of dysfunction because it's never going to work. And as we've just established, the, the Redskins are the poster boys right now with Snyder for, for that kind of uh, uh, fractious franchise. So I don't think he'd touch it with a barge. No, I, I don't think he would either. I mean, Eric Bieniemy comes to mind. He's Kansas City's offensive coordinator, and many thought he was going to replace Mike McCarthy um, before they went with Matt LaFleur last year. So He's a smart guy, as we've done really well, working very closely with Andy Reid, who's obviously a master at play calling. Look, I mean, Dallas, and I know we'll talk about the Cowboys later, but Jason Garrett may find himself drifting as a free agent. Wouldn't that be something for him to become a Washington candidate? Oh, wow. If Dallas decides to let him go and he stays in the NFC East, that would really add some spice already. People, some people think Dallas-Washington is still one of the best NFL rivalries, despite the fact neither team's won anything in a long, long time. But that would really put some oomph into it if Jason Garrett was on the opposite sidelines going back to the Jerry Dome next year. I can wish for that, but that might be a long shot. Okay, uh, we'll say goodnight, Gracie, to Jay Gruden. We will watch that space keenly. Of course, the Redskins over here a couple of years back in one of the international series games, one of the best I think we'd seen up until perhaps last night. The Redskins-Bengals 27-point uh, tie. The tie game at Wembley, what, three years ago, I think it was. Hell of a game. Uh and it's definitely gone down as one of the uh, one of the greats in the London series so far. But I think what we saw yesterday evening at the all-new Spurs Stadium uh, definitely matched that, possibly surpassed it. The Raiders, how about those Oakland Raiders going back to California with a winning record after a 24-21 win over the Bears that uh, was a, a fascinating, gripping encounter. Maybe not the most fluent of football spectacles Greg uh, by any stretch of the imagination but at the same time it was uh, so so compelling not least because of course it was an absolutely Jekyll and Hyde performance from the Raiders who dominated proceedings in the first half quietened down this impressive Bears defense and yet came out in the second half nervy as anything gifting the game it seemed back to Chicago but then Derek Carr came good held his nerve with Chucky of course in the background going absolutely incandescent most of the time. I mean, it had everything, a drama, uh, excitement, uh, backwards and forwards. In the end, the Raiders hold out 24-21 winners. And how about that? We thought this franchise would be, at best, a 5-11, and 6-10 and 10 kind of mob. But right now, they're 3-2. and two. They've got the, their tails up, a lot of mojo behind them. Are we possibly looking at Oakland as a sleepy, dark horse playoff pick? I don't see it, but I think they're going to cause some more trouble for people than we might have thought. And, and, and we might have thought that anyway had Antonio Brown made sort of a, a safe landing in Oakland and, and been a productive wide receiver for Derek Carr. That was the plan all along. But it was also, remember, a, a reunion of sorts yesterday with Khalil Mack playing for the Bears, sure. going against the Raiders, and, and we couldn't quite figure out last year why the urgency to trade Amari Cooper to Dallas, to trade uh, as training camp was settling and Khalil Mack didn't have a deal. Why trade Khalil Mack to the Bears? But yeah, you know, I, I'm curious to get your read on it. And I know you're going to share with the listeners, but not having obviously been to uh, the new, I, I came over last December with a friend and the Spurs stadium wasn't ready yet. And it wasn't mm. ready for NFL and it wasn't ready for obviously a lot of their games. So 
that was incredibly disappointing. But it just sounds like to rave reviews, not only did you have a close game, and as you note, several of the last, I think seven of the last nine at Wembley uh, or Twickenham games have been have been decided by, I want to say, 15 points or more, but there's been a lot of blowouts in the last few years. Philly, right. Jacksonville, and Tennessee and the Chargers were both great games at Wembley last season that were close. But nice to see a close game. And you could echo this sentiment that I've heard from a bunch of people. I got a couple texts yesterday from people at the game saying, it feels like an NFL atmosphere and a yeah. home game, yeah. not necessarily what Wembley sometimes can feel like if, if the game gets out of hand, and that's a neutral site. It felt like an NFL stadium that folks were at yesterday. That's exactly it. That exactly right. And, and unsurprisingly, really, when you think, you realize, of course, it has been customized for that. But even then, you know, we saw the ground a few months back set up, minus the fans, of course, and it was special then. You got a sense of, okay, just the perspective and the dynamic throw the acoustics in as well this is going to take it to the next level but you throw in 60,000 fans and and give them a game like that and it really did I was uh, on radio duty yesterday with talk sport and uh, Ollie Wilson was calling play-by-play next to me in uh, the booth and at one point he said it feels like we're in a spaceship and I just checked and kept an eye on what Ollie was drinking and just made sure that, <laughs> uh, but you know as, as the game went on Greg it dawned on me that he was absolutely bang on. It had this sense of this kind of timeless uh, feel to it that we were, all of us, 60,000 plus together, and the wonderful architecture and the lighting and everything about the stadium uh, were just kind of, could it be floating through space watching, you know, watching the, the Raiders Bears in 25-32? It had that kind of vibe to it. It was um, a really, really special occasion. And I think, you know, instrumental in evolution of the NFL over here, we've seen from way back in 2007 and that scrappy old encounter between the, the Giants and the Dolphins that we didn't care. Yeah. It was a terrible game because we finally had football. We think how far it's come now. And this, I think, was needed. I think this absolutely takes it to the next level. Well, and you've truly got an atmosphere that would fit an NFL team and a franchise if it ever works. It's it's not to say anything bad in the least about Wembley, but it's a lot more. Wembley's a lot more cavernous, right? A lot more, uh, you know, up, upper deck seats that don't give you the fa- the most fantastic viewpoint. Whereas, as you note, uh, you know, the, the the Spurs Stadium is a lot more compact. You're selling twenty thousand fewer tickets. And not that that's been a problem. They've obviously been able to sell 80 a year. And what does Twickenham hold? Around 74, 75. They were right. they had no problem selling tickets for um, for a couple games in there back in 2017. So this looks like the ideal fit, Nat, going forward is four games, split them between Spurs and Wembley, and move the ball forward to, to maybe a franchise. I don't ever think the NFL is expanding. I think they love 32 teams and they love eight divisions times four. But we've obviously seen some fluidity with the movement. It's it's a it's the most successful sporting league, arguably, on the planet. Yet we've had three teams change destinations. With with Oakland going to move to Vegas, and obviously the Rams coming from St. Louis. So there's there's some fluidity with the movement. And if they think there's a trouble spot, if it is indeed Jacksonville, if it is indeed another team someday, London sitting there waiting, saying we finally got the NFL branded stadium that would work for eight games a year. Yeah, that seems to be the way that it's going, doesn't it? The increased amount and volume of games as opposed to the franchise. And uh, Commissioner Goodell was in the house uh, yesterday and uh, his comments to, to various media, including uh, including Talk Sport Radio, who we were there with, suggested that that it looking more at five games, six games, seven games, as opposed to uh, bringing a franchise over. And you make a really good point, Greg, I think because of the charges, because of the Raiders going uh, to Vegas, because of the change we've seen 
in quite close proximity over recent years. I think it would be a surprise if if a team was to move again in in the short term. And of course, it's got to be that. It's got to be a relocation as opposed to an expansion, right? I don't think much as they're pushing for an 18-game season and all kinds of other ways of making more money and expanding the product. I'm not sure they're going to expand. I would be surprised if they expanded beyond uh, the 32 teams. I want to give a shout out uh, to a guy called Charlie Mullen. And Charlie's been in touch with us. Uh, and he is a, a statistician uh, an elite one at that as well. Uh, really interested in uh, the NFL London games in particular. And I was chatting to Harry and Ollie, our production team, and we might uh, uh, get Charlie on at some point during the London games. Because, of course, we're talking about the Bears Raiders, the first of four. We've got the Panthers Bucks. We go again next weekend. So uh, uh, we've got a lot to be looking forward to. And I'm sure Charlie will be uh, wheeling out even more stats. Really impressive stuff that he does. Um, Looking at, for example, total attendance. Let's put Greg Brady on the spot. Can you guess? <laughs> can you guess the total attendance, Greg, for all twenty-five NFL London games so far? Oh man, uh, twenty-five times. Well, let's say let's say it's been an average of about seventy-five thousand people. So if I do that really quick, Nat, I, I think Come we're. On, buddy. You got to give me some leeway here. I'm going between one point seven five million and but not not. Not over two million. Oh, you I'm were told. so close. I thought you were going to give yourself <laughs> enough of a catch for that to nail it. It is just over two million. Two oh. million and thirty-seven thousand. How about that? I think those thirty-seven thousand got in for free. I think those were comp tickets. So I'm okay. not even counting them. They don't. Count. I don't think Fair they enough. paid the proper freight. That's your disclaimer. Uh, how about this? Derek Carr, the comeback kid, is now first in the game we had last night, seventy-eight point one three percent, and third, seventy-four point one nine percent. That was the last time. Uh, he came uh, on passing accuracy in London games, which shows that stats are sometimes a little bit kooky do because, of course, the last time he came, the last time the Raiders game was last year and they were blown out of the water 27-3 by the Seahawks. But there you go, Derek Carr, Mr. Accuracy well, Personified. I feel, And I feel like they've had, have they not had four, I think they've been four years in a row uh, giving up a home game in Oakland, which they've been happy to do. What will be fascinating that, is the teams next year as, cause I can't believe that Las Vegas is going to give up a home game when they've been thirsting for this team now for basically a half decade. It feels like negotiations have been going on yeah. to move the Raiders to Las Vegas. So where are you on the to, Vegas I, move? Are you, are you okay with it? Are you pro it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's progress. I, I think that the NHL team that's gone there has been a remarkable success. So there was always this question is Vegas too transient or people just there for the shows and the, and concerts and maybe it's more. A boxing city, it, it's clearly been able to embrace pro sports and 41 National Hockey League games compared to eight NHL games. I think it's going to be a huge smash hit for Vegas. I feel bad for the people of Oakland. I felt bad for the people of St. Louis uh, losing their franchise after having the Rams for, for so very yeah. long before they moved back. But it doesn't seem like they can get something done with the stadium. And, and that's going to concern the Major League Baseball team in Oakland as well. Without a new facility, I think the Raiders had to move. One quick line from you on the Chicago Bears, who are deeply disappointing for long stretches of the game. And defensively, it wasn't, I mean, they did step up in, in the second half. But as I alluded to earlier, the, the Raiders were gifting them uh, opportunities left, right and center. So whilst there was playmaking going on, it wasn't uh, by any stretch of the imagination a vintage performance from this great Bears unit. Akeem Hicks going out, of course, impacted that uh, a fair bit. But the big problem, once again, uh, was at the quarterback position. Yes, Chase Daniels certainly improved things and moved things in at the second half, and he's got a good thing going on with Adam Robinson and not supported once again by a ground game. 
but where do they go from here? Because this could really derail a potential championship side, certainly an NFC championship side. The defense is that good, and they've got playmakers offensively as well. But unless they work this out, they're going to be falling short, aren't they? Yeah, it's a shame. The, the defense is top-notch, and the defense is NFC title game caliber. But they're Matt Nagy said it after the game, Matt. They're, just, they're not good enough on offense, and it really wouldn't have mattered. I don't want to say it wouldn't have mattered if Mitch Trubisky had played. That might have been the difference between winning and losing, and then that's the difference between a 3-2 and two record and a 4-1 and one record. But, look, it's going to be so tight to make the NFC playoffs this year. I think it's the opposite of the AFC for probably a third straight year when when the Bills and, and the Jags snuck in a couple years ago. And, and really, they didn't look like as well as Jacksonville played in Pittsburgh when they got to the playoffs and, and gave New England a great go in the AFC title game. There was a little bit of an illusory factor to it. The NFC is the tougher conference, and you're going to see three or four teams in the NFC that you're going to say that might be a playoff team in the AFC. And right. Minnesota is a great example of that, the team the Bears beat uh, last week, 16-6, to and there's all this internal strife with Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen. So the Bears have the wild card to work it out in that, but then they have two home games, and, and they may need to win them both. They have the Saints, and then they have the, you know, the really struggling L.A. Chargers right now. And after mm-hmm. that, their schedule gets very, very rough. Road games at the Eagles, the Rams, the Lions, the Packers, not all in a row, but those are their next four home games. So they really need to take care of business at Soldier Field the next two weeks. Well, we'll get into some of the rest of the teams that you referenced a few of them there. The Eagles smacking the Jets 31 to 6. No surprise there. And they've got, uh, of course, intrinsic quarterback issues. Uh, of their own. No Sam Darnold again. So Luke Falk there is a third stringer, of course, at the start of the season. Uh, another uh, unimpressive, uninspiring, I should say, performance uh, from him. The Chargers went down disappointingly 20 uh, to 13 uh, to the Broncos. And again, talk about gifting games and uh, the Chargers just making so many mistakes offensively, Greg, which was a, a real head scratcher when we figured that this was a team that was disciplined, was going to come into the season uh, picking up from where they left off last season and certainly look like a, a playoff contender. They look far from that at the moment. They look far from that. And uh, they're getting nothing from Melvin Gordon, 31 yards on the ground with the 12 carries. Mm. And this goes to show you, you still need some element of training camp. We could debate whether the, the exhibition games matter and whether stars should be playing in them and stars should be sitting out from them. But Melvin Gordon just doesn't look like a guy who's who's hit the ground running. He's the opposite of, of Ezekiel Elliott when they were, the Cowboys were able to plug and play Ezekiel Elliott right into the week one lineup against the New York Giants. So the running game struggled. And one of the big quarterback questions, and I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, is we didn't ask any questions about Phillip Rivers coming into this year, who's going to be 38 in December. We've talked about the age of Brady, the age of Breeze, Big Ben. Uh, what will he do without Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell before his injury? But Philip Rivers really struggling on third down conversions. And I know a, a little bit of a late rally there, but turnovers were critical in the first half. You, you can't have a home game against a team that's, that's going to try hard against you, a division rival in the Denver Broncos. Everybody's given, exerting full effort out. You're not getting teams that are three and nine that might just cruise through December and, and not be on the same page with each other. So with a new head coach in, in Vic Fangio, you can't be shut out in the first half of a home game uh, in the AFC West. And, and the first half, more than the second half, is really what cost the Chargers. And no, they look nothing, nothing like the group that, that many were even saying, well, they might knock off the New England Patriots in the playoffs. They might be a, 
a yep. chic Super Bowl pick uh, mm-hmm. heading into December. They look nothing like that right now. You make a great point about Rivers. Uh, not to mention the fact he's had, what, 17 children or something quite close to that. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that all attributes to his wear and tear a little bit as well. But when you look at that generation of uh, the elder statesmen in the NFL, Greg, at the quarterback position, coming into this season, you know, obviously Breeze and Roethlisberger down injured. Eli's lost the gig. So I guess he's the first to, to fall uh, long term. Brady going strong and he had a bounce back performance against the Redskins this week, which was inevitable after everybody started clamoring around all the haters after last week's uh, outing against the Bills. Of course, Brady was going to raise a hell against uh, a hapless Redskins side. But wouldn't it be, it would surprise me, certainly, Greg, if if Rivers was one of the first to go out of that gang, because he just is such an unreconstructed, durable, he, he played a championship game with a torn ACL, for goodness sake. I mean, I'd just be, uh, yeah, surprised if Rivers was one of the first out of that old gang to go. I would too, and and he's got time to to resuscitate his season, that's for sure. sure. Um, and, and actually, turnovers have always been, that's always been what you get with Philip Rivers. You'll get some right. dynamic play, you'll get some real consistent games, and sometimes there's a fumbled snap, and sometimes there's a an interception at the least opportune time. But when we think about it, I mean, training and, and medicine, sure, it's improved over 20 years. But when you look when great quarterbacks really either stopped being great or decided to retire, Jim Kelly's a Hall of Famer. He was done at 36. Dan Marino walked away just after turning 38 uh, and, and was done, as we saw, very late in his career with a, a, you know, a terrible playoff performance against in that 62-3 loss against Jacksonville back in the late 1990s. So, John Elway quitting at 37 is another example, though he had the two Super Bowls. You're just not supposed to play this position until you're, until you're knocking on the door of 40. So really, it's, it's Tom Brady, it's Big Ben, it's Drew Brees that are really breaking the mold. Maybe, just maybe, Rivers is more in that mold. Tony Romo obviously had to say goodbye to football a couple years ago. Eli, some would argue, maybe should have said goodbye already. It's, it's really tough to tell somebody when they should walk and when they should quit because the Giants were still paying him. Coming into this season, this is his last year on contract. But Philip Rivers needs uh, needs a, a good next couple games to, I think, quiet some of the whispers down around him about mm-hmm. what he can accomplish this season. And let's face it, there's an opportunity. I think you mentioned the Raiders, there's and the Chiefs' home loss last night. Right. There's not we, we we've just given this division away to Kansas City and, and almost an AFC title game berth. Maybe there's some vulnerability with the Chiefs that we the Chargers have really been right there neck and neck to try and win that division from the Chiefs the last couple of years and they weren't able to get there. Maybe just maybe if 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 LA improves their play, they're a team that can get back in because they thought going to bed last night, Nat, they'd be three games behind the Chiefs. They're only two obviously now and they haven't played them yet. Yeah, they must be Chargers fans deeply frustrated with that missed opportunity because of the Colts 1913 win in Sunday Night Football. Now, does that need to be an asterisk against this result because obviously Mahomes took a knock to his ankle, uh, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins out of it as well. So it was not exactly a full-strength uh, Chiefs lineup by any stretch, and clearly Mahomes was not his his usual self. He wasn't his usual self last week, of course. That, that the final drive notwithstanding that that won in the game, he was uh, uh, not as fluent as, as we've seen, of course, and, and certainly wasn't against the Colts. So how much stock should we put in this result, bearing in mind you know, and to your point about Philip Rivers, let's not overreact to, to one or two bad performances. But at least this shows, I guess, that the Chiefs are fallible. Well, they are. And you mentioned all the injuries on offense. They didn't they didn't carry the ball once with LaShawn McCoy last night, threw him a couple balls out of the backfield. But for coming from Buffalo and getting a lot of utilization in the offense uh, with Sean McDermott the last couple of years, I was a little surprised they, they didn't use LaShawn McCoy very much. Um, and, and again, whether he's banged up or not, 
Uh, it's still a Sunday night game. It's you're you're still in uniform. You got to be able to get out there and perform. Andy Reid just may have lost him a little bit because their running game was not very good, as you note last night. So the Colts uh, yeah. was, of course, a Marlon Mack, uh, oh, 132 yeah. yards, and incidentally. Uh, uh, and uh, props to Ollie Opergisa for wheeling this stat out. The Chiefs have now allowed three running backs over 100 yards on the ground this season. So that is clearly uh, where you can hurt them a bit. The running game, if you've got a running back like Marlon Mack, that helps, of course. And you've been big on the Colts uh, all season long, haven't you? So um, are they, uh, with this bounce back win, are they suddenly right back in the mix now? We should be taking them seriously. They really are. And I think they're a team that you can look at and say, if they're not the favorite in the AFC South, uh, they're probably very, very close to the co-favorite. So sitting there with Houston at three and two, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like Indianapolis a lot. Now Houston's been able so far. We were worried about this after week one, keeping Deshaun Watson healthy. So far he's done it. He's been able to, to be dynamic. He had a couple plays yesterday that, that again, he, he looks like Michael Vick, uh, circa 2001, 2002, where he can get out, out of any jam and either use his feet to get a first down or find the receiver to get a first down. But I, I, Jacoby Brissett threw a bad interception last night. Outside of that, he really played a clean game. And great game next week, obviously, Texans at the Colts. It's not going to decide everything, but it's a great measuring stick for both organizations as to where they're at uh, in terms of the division. With, with the Jags and Titans kind of watching that going, that's something that I think both both Jacksonville and Tennessee – probably need to look and say, we have to find a way to ascend up to that. Jacksonville, a tough loss yesterday because Gardner Minshew couldn't have done more, but they couldn't stop Carolina on the ground. Yeah, but Minshew also got himself into trouble as well a little bit, didn't he? I mean, he, he coughed up one, uh, a couple of fumbles, mm-hmm. one for, for mm-hmm. a score. And he's, it's a different kind of volatility that you get with him in the same way that Favre uh, and Baker Mayfield, I guess, as well, are those kind of quarterbacks that will force the issue and throw it into triple coverage and sometimes pull it off and, and sometimes give up the game as a result. Minshew with his ducking and diving and wheeling and dealing, which we already love to watch, <laughs> has that fallibility to him as well. It's just, oh, and, and it blew up in his face a bit yesterday. I just want to go to the Texans next, actually, because you mentioned there Deshaun Watson's performance, uh, which was sensational, 28 of 33, 426 yards, five touchdowns, Will Fuller. Back, uh, back in the side, back in business. Three touchdowns for him. So congratulations to Will Fuller, fantasy owners. Uh, and not me, who has Will Fuller, uh, but I had him on the bench, uh, predicted. Oh, Nat. And the hopeless, oh, hopeless my. fantasy. I should listen to the OGL a bit more. Against the Falcons cornerbacks, no less, also. Oh, silly. Hell. To be fair, I, I did have a radio <laughs> broadcast, and fantasy wasn't at the top of my focus then. Um, uh, but the Texans uh, tearing it up. And, and, of course, the most notable stat of all, and you alluded to it a moment ago in terms of Deshaun Watson and protection, not sacked once by this Atlanta Falcons defense. The first time I can remember, we just keep a count every week, don't we, on how often and how regularly Deshaun Watson is sacked. The offensive line finally doing its job, Greg. Well, yeah, and Deshaun Watson, just nothing running by design. It just looked like he was getting out of trouble. He had the big 30-yard scramble that probably most people have seen on, on, on as a video highlight now, but for the most part, because you're in command of the game all day, he can hand off to Carlos Hyde. Hyde had 21 carries. You mentioned mm-hmm. Fuller. I was going to mention 16 targets and 14 catches. So the yardage is impressive. The touchdowns are impressive. But just the efficiency, every time Deshaun Watson wanted to go to Will Fuller, he's available. And that's that's an indictment, certainly, of the Falcons' coverage and their defensive scheme. But it's also a huge compliment uh, to where Houston's going with this. We know, we know for years, whether it's been – just with J.J. Watt, whether it's been J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney, they've often had the defense to, to sneak into the playoffs. 
but just haven't had the quarterbacking. I've I've been at playoff games where it's been T.J. Yates. I've been at playoff games where it's been <laughs> right. somebody who's uh, you know Matt Leiner obviously had some emergency starts all the years to help help them get into the playoffs. But they've got their guy now, and they simply put have to keep him standing up. They have to keep him upright. They have to keep him healthy. And yesterday's a big, big advancement in doing that. We'll see, again, that's one of the great early games next week, almost an underrated or great early game with them and the Colts next week for first place in the AFC South. Uh, Big time it is. Hey, you mentioned TJ Yates. It just got me thinking, what's TJ Yates (laughs) doing now? Uh, And I looked him up. TJ Yates (laughs) is on the coaching staff for the Texans. He's an offensive Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Good work if you can get it. Yeah. Um, So it's a shootout in – the Atlanta-Houston game, and I think we can stick a fork in Atlanta. That is probably their season done with that uh, defeat. What are we saying about the Dallas Cowboys involved in another shootout against the Packers in Arlington? And it was, frankly, uh, devastatingly bad for uh, the Dallas Cowboys. They rallied, of course, towards the end, and at one stage it looked like a, a, a tenuous, remarkable comeback might be on the cards, but they fell short. 34-24, uh, the final there. Aaron Jones having a huge game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, given his ridiculously high standards that he set throughout most of his career, it wasn't vintage Rodgers by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time didn't do anything uh, detrimental to to gift anything back to the Cowboys. Uh, What do we make of all of this? Because when, uh, if memory serves me correctly, we did uh, no deal or real real deal with you a few weeks ago, and I threw the Cowboys at you. You said no deal. You weren't buying them when most people were. It looks like you were pretty prescient with that one, Greg Brady. Well, s- skeptical because the three games were such such layups early on in the schedule. To remind folks, the, the Cowboys, and, and we were talking about this when it looked like they might not have Ezekiel Elliott. They were home against Eli and the Giants then, not the Daniel Jones Giants, but the Eli Giants. They went to Washington, which might be the 31st best team, and then they got to host with a team we know is the 32nd best team in the Miami Dolphins. So the first three weeks, just no competition for the Dallas Cowboys. And since then, uh, I mean, Nat, I, I know one thing I know about you from working with you, you're a well-prepared host. I am a well-prepared host. I love to do the work. I love to grind out the numbers and be ready to go. You and I could sit down on a Dallas sports radio station this week and just do nothing and just take phone calls and <laughs> just open up the lines and have people yell and scream at us about Dak Prescott, either people who say, I agree with Jerry Jones, he's more Tom Brady than Troy Aikman. What was that from the Dallas owner this week? You're comparing Dak Prescott, who you haven't paid yet, to a guy that's won six Super Bowls. Stop that. Let Dak be Dak <laughs> at this point in the market. And and I don't care much about the fourth quarter. I don't know if you do, but the game's essentially over at the end of the third quarter. It's 31-10, to 10 and Dak's already thrown three interceptions. So yeah. it's great that Green Bay's sort of a soft, relaxed. They're going to let Dallas get their yards. They're going to let Dallas move the football. They don't need to, you know, strain themselves to hold on to a 10 point victory. So I'm, I'm real down on the Cowboys. Yeah, that was a concern. And, and let's face it. The one thing we thought was they've got their defense back intact. Uh, Leighton Vanderesh is going to take a big, big step coming into this season. And they basically let Aaron Rodgers for the most part of the first two quarters, who still is looking fantastic, do whatever they want. And we're going to get very little info on the Cowboys next week that because they they play the New York Jets. We're right. not going to know much about about Dak and the Cowboys until they host the Eagles on Sunday night football uh on October 20th. But they're probably going to be 4 and 2 going into that game, but the big problem with Dak is how's he going to be in the huge moments? How is he going mm-hmm. to be in terms of, key, of going head to head mano a mano against the other elite quarterbacks? And he wasn't good enough yesterday. 
He really wasn't. Uh, neither was Brett Maher, the kicker. And you quite liked something we rolled out on our Twitter uh, feed last night, which was a gif of uh, a prince, which, <laughs> as you rightly pointed out, was from under the cherry moon. And we'd said it was Jerry Jones and Brett Maher at the Cowboys HQ tomorrow. This is after Maher missed the field goal when, yeah, as you said, dangling by a thread. So it was kind of immaterial anyway, but he still... Uh, still missed it and still uh, was the final nail in the coffin. I think it's one of my favourite things is watching uh, Jerry Jones in varying different stages of the game. Um, and particularly, and I think any any non-Cowboys fan enjoys watching Jerry Jones with the Cowboys getting it handed to them. And uh, last night was no exception, but particularly when Brett Maher missed the field goal. It was uh, vintage Jerry Jones disdain uh in the corporate box there. So that's why we dropped the prints uh, under the cherry moon. That is a hell of a glare, isn't it? Head over to our Twitter feed at the, uh, at the NC show to get a look at that. And I know you're a huge music fan, of course, Greg Brady, and a, and a huge Prince fan. And, yeah, a uh, huge Prince fan. We well, you went, you went under, you went under the Jerry moon, basically, uh, implicating <laughs> oh, that Jerry Jones will be, uh, smart as you to think of that. Yeah, yeah. we'll be enjoying, uh, it, it's amazing also. Jerry was with the, what, Ellen DeGeneres yesterday? Like, like it was a very eclectic, <laughs> <laughs> eclectic pairing watching the, the football game. But yeah, you, you do wonder for the Cowboys owner, he loves the cameras. He loves going on talk radio. Some of these other owners referenced Daniel Snyder earlier in the show. You can't find these guys with a, with a telescope watching their own team. You couldn't find Steven Ross watching Dolphins games this season with a telescope. But Jerry's always, <laughs> Jerry's like, like Bob Kraft, always front and center. And you'll you'll get the reaction whether it's a good one or a bad one. So the TV cameras love love keeping a Jerry Cam on all the time just for him to react. I like Ellen. Yeah, Ellen was that. I mean, he's love to see a list of everyone that has been in Jerry Jones's box since he's owned uh, since he's owned the Cowboys. Some there must be a list out there, and if not, help us out. Chris Christie, of course, <laughs> he went through that phase of having Chris Christie in his box, That's the former right. New Jersey governor. What happened to Chris Christie? He kind of uh, he. Yeah, well, didn't, didn't stay with the uh, Trump cabinet, but but yeah, no. he claimed to be a big New York Giants fan, and then he's high fiving Jerry <laughs> oh, Jones boy. with the, in the Dallas Cowboys box. So you can't exactly get away with that and, and be a man of the people, can you? Doing it that. That's doing a Spike Lee, isn't it? I'm sure Spike Lee has got about 16 different sporting teams that he likes. Uh, so disappointing for the Cowboys. Quick line though on Green Bay, and specifically, I want to ask you about their defense because it does seem to polarize opinion. Start of the season, particularly because of that Bears game. Uh, the first night of the season, everybody was suddenly getting very excited about Green Bay's defense. But I've also read contrasting opinions saying, look, it's obviously not bad, but it's no better than an average unit. And everybody's getting a little bit carried away with how good this Green Bay D is. It looked pretty decent to me last night, Greg Brady. No, I think they've got some things there. Uh, Blake Martinez, the, the linebacker, um, you know, he doesn't have the long hair, but he's starting to remind people of Clay Matthews a little bit. I think they've got, they've definitely locked, got locked down corners that they just struggled with. This is where, this is what gets you good field position is not giving up big plays. Even when you've got a team on, on a third and 13 and you're able to stuff them or, or sack them. I always felt like sacks were a little bit overrated in terms of a stat, but not when you've got an A-list quarterback in Aaron Rodgers and, and you can start him on a drive at, at your own 40 yard line instead of your own 18 yard line. So the Packers are getting their offense great field position. They're getting, they're, they're definitely winning the takeaway battle most games. I think Reed May's defense is good enough to, uh, to do some big things. It was, it, yeah, the Bears game was a tricky one to analyze because you're coming right out of preseason. Most of those stars hadn't played 
Green Bay had the weird game, you might remember, Nat, in, in Canada, in Winnipeg, where the field wasn't the right length against the Raiders, so they sat all, they were, that was the, the third preseason game, and they sat all their, all their starters. They weren't going to risk it on a, on a bit of a risky field, but I think it really resonated for me when, when they beat the Vikings as they beat them the second week of the season, uh, and really limited, uh, Kirk Cousins, who I know has had his struggles since then, bounce back game yesterday, but, I just think some of these NFC games are going to be shootouts. And when you can make the stop at the key time, when you can pin the Cowboys down, again, to me, that score yesterday, 34-24, that's not indicative of how dominant Green Bay was defensively with the takeaways and, and putting Dallas in a tough spot in terms of where they where they got the football and, and where Green Bay was able to start drives. So really, really impressed with the Packers' defense so far. So we came off air around quarter to 10 after the Bears-Raiders game. And I legged it out of the stadium pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, and I was walking down Seven Sisters Road with about 20,000 other fans who had the, the same idea. And so we're struggling because I was trying to watch the game, the Packers uh, game on my phone on Game Pass. So I wasn't altogether able to, to completely concentrate on what was going on. But actually, it was a godsend when we then got uh, to the uh, underground queue and uh, I could sit and watch and everyone was uh, looking over my shoulder watching it as well. So... Uh, kind of watched it back uh, again today. And it is a really interesting thing that the Packers have done this a few times now uh, this season. And maybe you could argue because you said they put the game to bed already. But they do have, they seem to be quite streaky offensively, I've noticed. And maybe that's just because it is, you know, a new coordinator and quarterback uh, tandem that is getting and uh, trying to gel and, and, and trying to find that cohesion. But it they, they haven't seemed to hit fifth gear yet, which I think is quite ominous for most other teams in the NFC. So defensively, we've agreed that they are absolutely uh, up there with uh, the top units in the NFL right now. But offensively, given the abundance of talent they have there with a you know, generational quarterback leading them all, and Aaron Jones, incidentally, I don't think it would be remiss of us not to mention his four touchdowns, extraordinary uh, game that he had. They haven't quite got that together yet. So I think we haven't seen the best of this Packers uh, team yet by any stretch. I'd say that's true. They they did allow Dallas at least a, a faint, you know, glimmer of hope. I'll put it that way. It's 34-17. And as I look, their last three drives, and this is before the kneel down at, at the end after Dallas couldn't get the onside kick, their last three drives were six plays for 20 yards, four plays for nine yards, five plays for 12 yards. You're right. They, they, they struggled in the fourth quarter to move the football and whether that's Dallas tightening up or not. So you can look at it both ways. Maybe they won't find that consistency all season long, but as you said, ominous is the right word for what may be coming for other teams when, you know, remember they, they've, it's a, it's a brand new offensive scheme. It's a brand new head coach. It's the same old healthy Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's, look, we forget he couldn't make it to this point of the season healthy last year. He was injured in week one of 2018 and obviously his season ended in either week three or four against the Vikings uh, in 2017 and the Packers were, were really cut adrift from, from being competitive the rest of the way. So there is something there to say, we probably haven't seen the best of the green Bay Packers yet. Though we, we got to pinpoint that chiefs game. They go to arrowhead near the end of the month. Uh, and I think it's a Sunday night game. That'll be a wonderful test for Green Bay to see if they can, you know, shoot the lights out with, with Patrick Mahomes in a, in a home night game. And of course, we expect the Chiefs to be much better offensively than they were last night. Yeah. Bounce back, I think is uh, the word uh, that we will throw at that one. Um, what is the strangest place you've ever watched a game thinking about it? So walking down the Seven Sisters Road has got to be up there, uh, for me, uh, at 10 o'clock at night with about 20,000 other fans. What about you? I can imagine Brady must have, you must have a, 
you know, a bar in, in uh, kind of far-flung corners of Acapulco or something, just trying to get a scratchy, scratchy picture on on the local TV. I can see a or Panama. I can see Brady kind of going deep in oh, diving. That sounds Panama. wonderful this time of year when it's uh, eleven <laughs> degrees here in, in Toronto today, and we're uh, we're waiting we're waiting for the first snowfall two or three weeks from now. I, I'm thinking off the top of my head that it's it's probably in airports, and this is you know pre almost pre being able to to connect on data uh, and, and right. use the data to do it. But yeah, some some very strange turnarounds where you're you know you see an early game. Or you do an early game as we, we used to do so many of the playoff games, uh, play by play, and you're trying to watch the late game and then you've got to, you've got to get on board the airplane. I, I think it's fascinating to watch entire games on an actual airplane. So JetBlue is one of the companies, if I can uh, pimp for them, if you will, that has live television. Uh, but it's really rare still. Usually it's just a selection of, you know, movies and, and shows and music and whatnot. But when you find an airline that has a uh, live TV and you can watch that, that late NBC game, you've yeah. really got it made. So probably never leave that airline. Never. You, no, no. You, and you want, you don't mind if there's a flight delay also, because sometimes the flight, <laughs> they kick you off. You're in the middle of the third quarter of a great game. And you're like, I wouldn't mind staying and having another drink and, and more pretzels for another hour and 20 minutes. That's how big uh, and busy my life is. I uh, love it. Uh, one more for you, Greg, before we let you go. Um, out of these four teams, the Bengals, uh, the Dolphins, the Jets and the Redskins, we've already mentioned the latter two, uh, the Dolphins on a bye, of course, so uh, they couldn't. They, <laughs> they couldn't. can't. They can't screw it up. Don't count on it. And the Bengals, <laughs> it, I mean, the Bengals were textbook, so they were in completely in a hole against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Then fought back two uh, two roundhouse rights from Andy Dalton, getting them right back into it, and and then of course uh, they blow it. Goes to overtime, they blow it, and the Cardinals nick it. So uh, out of those four. One of the big narratives right now in the NFL is who is the worst? Because it's a crucial, it's always important uh, in that respect to get the number one overall pick, usually important. But of course, there are some years where it is more important than other years. And this is one of those years. So out of those four, who do you think is most likely to end up with the worst record overall? Well, I, I do think it's Miami. I, I, I think I don't know how Miami's going to sneak out uh, an extra win or two when the, the margins are so significant uh, with the losses. And I know, yeah, not able to not able to play this week. It's hard to gauge. And Washington and Miami this coming week. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, I, I haven't even seen a point spread yet, but it can't. You'd say, well, Miami certainly can't be favored because they've been the worst team. But then you juxtapose that and say. Really, how much can Washington be favored by going in and playing down in Florida, a road game against a defense that at the very, at the absolute minimum has given solid effort the last couple of games out against the Cowboys and Chargers? They, they were, they, what, they gave up 112 points in the first two weeks against Baltimore and New England. Yeah. They've only given up 61 the last two weeks. It feels like Burgers. a market improvement. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think Washington is going to, is going to flirt with finishing Last, but I think it's I think it's Miami's title to lose. Washington would have to go in and, and really spit out the bit, if you will, in Miami this coming week to have any con- conversation that Miami's not the worst football team in the NFL. It would be the most Miamiest thing, though, wouldn't it, to win a couple <laughs> of games and blow the number one overall pick? Um, Greg, terrific stuff. Always a pleasure catching up with you. It feels like there's another 45, 50 minutes of football I want to get into you with, but we're out of time. But we will make sure you're back very, very soon to pick up where you left off. What a pleasure. Glad the uh, the game at Spurs went so well and right back at it with Carolina-Tampa Bay. You get to see Kyle Allen in person. That's fantastic next week.
Yeah, looking forward. Hopefully that's going to be a shootout as well. We are very much looking forward to that. And looking forward to catching up with you soon. Look after yourself, man. You got it. Well then, well then. Greg Brady bringing his A game once again. Of course, he is a regular on the show this season. Part of our all-pro lineup, which includes I am Mike Carlson. He's back in his regular Wednesday spot. Uh, Jason Bell. Jay Bell's going to be back in the house soon. We're going to do some filming with him uh, at the ESPN HQ in a couple of weeks. And we've got a very special guest coming your way later on this week as well. So a lot to look forward to at the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you haven't already, go and subscribe to us, whichever podcatcher you are listening to this. You won't miss a trick. Hope you enjoyed Back Wednesday with Iron Mike. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Podcast Network.